0: You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek.
1: Welcome to Earth Station 1, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. future, and our imaginings
2: horrify us, they won't fear it
3: until they understand it, and they won't understand it. Theory will take you only so far. I don't know if we can be trusted with such a weapon.
1: Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. And it's movie review night again. And man, this is the second part of Bobby. Was it Barbieheimer or Op and Barbie or whatever you want to try <laughs> to call it? It was real interesting of a weekend to go see movies. And I think it was the busiest I've seen a movie theater this year. And so far, this, you know, other than Mario, I think this has been like you know, the most drawn I've seen and sold out shows. And, you know, when I wanted to go see the different movies, because I didn't do them both on the same day. So it was interesting to be able to, you know, try to to find the different films and had to go to like, check out three different movie theaters because they were selling out for all the different movies between Barbie. And now this film we're reviewing tonight, Oppenheimer. And it, it was, it's awesome that we're able to do this, and it is Christopher Nolan at his best, and it is going to be an interesting tale to talk about, and we've got a great crew to talk about it. We're doing movie reviews, so of course, Ashley Pauls is here.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very sad that I couldn't fully participate in um, the Barbenheimer double feature podcast. I'm planning to go see Barbie uh, later this week, so I'll get my review up, but... I'm glad I get to talk about Oppenheimer with you all.
1: I'm glad you're here, and at least you got to join us for one of these. Yes, so, and so it's pretty cool. And joining us for the first time, Lauren Knight is here. Welcome to the show.
4: Hello. Yes, I'm very very excited to finally be here, and uh, I I also did Barbenheimer, but I I did them in reverse, and I also did not see them on the same day. I saw them like back to back days, but I did Heimer first, and then I did Barben.
1: Ah, there you go. <laughs> so and you know, I think you probably appreciated it a little bit more. You needed something to lift you up after seeing this one. And
4: Yeah, I, I agree. People were saying to see Barbie first, and I'm I I personally disagree, but
1: that's okay. <laughs> that is good. It's good to have you here. You want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself since it's your first time with us tonight?
4: Oh sure! Um, hi everyone. My name is Lauren Knight. Uh, you can find me on all the socials and letterboxed at that movie is fine, which incidentally is also the name of my own podcast uh, that I have with my friend Aaron Hudson, and uh, we we review kind of like cult classic movies. We revisit movies you know that people um, you know haven't maybe thought about in a while, or that we think might deserve like reappraisal, or maybe not a reappraisal. Um and let's see I'm a film programmer and a film booker and I own my own events company so yeah that's me.
1: She's pretty amazing folks. We've been trying to get her on the show for uh, how long have we been doing the podcast? 13 years now. So
4: <laughs> I've so. just been so busy. Yeah, well, <laughs> just was waiting wow. for
1: Barbara. What could you say? It is great to have you. Though.
4: Thank you. It is so great to finally be here.
1: And of course Mr. Mike Gordon is with us once again.
3: Howdy.
1: Ready to talk about a bomb of a film?
3: Uh yes, it's well a bomb, you know, it uh or dub bomb, you know, da it's bomb. uh we'll, we'll make that distinction depending on uh, your feelings about it. it. It it's been kind of uh one way or the other with people. Um uh, but uh considering how many people went to see this, uh you know, we like to start off at the box office and of course it's just been crazy with the the marketing of this as well as the sort of grassroots um the grassroots effort or I don't know what you call it phenomenon really that's that is Barbenheimer. Now we'll see if it lasts more than a weekend. But it what it, you know, thanks to nothing. I mean, it wasn't the studios doing because good no, goodness knows there's not, there's not a lot of, uh, good blood, let's say between Warner Brothers and Universal, especially when it comes to Christopher Nolan and Barbie. Barbie was a project that started at Universal and ended up in Warner Brothers. And of course, Chris Nolan, this is the first movie that he's made outside of Warner Brothers in, in, uh, I think since Memento, really. So, uh, you know, this is, this is kind of a big deal. They were going against each other, um, at least uh, uh, studio to studio. But the but the people, nope. They wanted they wanted Barbenheimer. They wanted it together. Um, and we this is not the only move. I mean, it's been packed this year, but this has not been the only like two movies that have come out the same weekend. We had last month. Uh, I think we had Flash and Elemental come out at the same time. They didn't have quite the spark. That people were, nobody wanted to see like Flash-O-Mental or whatever you wanted. There was no like, there was no. Flashamental like, that would be
1: hard to get rid of of my head now. But.
3: <laughs> there was no like, there's no kind of merging like kind of fun thing. I think just because both of these movies were ridiculously different and, and obviously counter programming, and yet there was something about it that just kind of tied them together in a way that I think a lot of people appreciated. The fact that both of them were. I don't want to say uh, original movies because obviously one is a biopic, a historical, and another one is based on a, on a very popular toy brand. So it's not like they're completely original efforts, but these are not sequels. They're not superhero movies. They're not like franchises that we've seen over and over and over again. Um, And to that, to that end Oppenheimer, I think they expected projected it anyway to gross about 45, 50 million. Thanks to uh Barmenheimer and the effort, I, I mean it grossed over eighty million, which I think is a huge success for Warner Brothers and Christopher Nolan and everybody involved. Um of course Barbie won, I mean, blew out the weekend. Uh as, That's as fully
1: expected, though. Good. As
3: fully expected. But the fact that Oppenheimer did as well as it did. This is not an action movie. This is not something that people consider summer fair, right? This is, this is, uh, I mean, the only reason that it's been released in the summer, I think is because Christopher Nolan has a wonderful track record when it comes to summer movies. Uh, Dunkirk was released in the summer. Uh, tenant was supposed to be released in the summer. Although, you know, the pandemic had a lot to do with that. Um, Uh, Ashley, any thoughts about the release of this movie, box office wise and the phenomenon that, uh, that happened?
2: Yeah, no, I think like you mentioned, the grassroots campaign of fans to create this hashtag Barbenheimer, I think definitely played a role in lifting both these movies at the box office. But I, based on what critics are saying, both, are good movies, so it will be really interesting to see what their uh, staying power is. But yeah, um, it has to be exciting for uh, Christopher Nolan when you talk about a movie that's R-rated three hours long, so theaters can't pack in quite as many showings, and the fact that it did so well I think is just great and is encouraging to me as a film fan that I think there still is an appetite out there for in-theater movies, but... It really needs to be an event and people need to feel compelled like this is worth my time to spend out and go to my money, go spend my money to go see it in a the theater. So um, hopefully studios are taking notice like there still is a market out there for theatrical films, but people will show up for something that's high quality or that really seems like an event that they need to see on opening weekend. Mm
3: hmm. Mm-hmm. And as you pointed out in an article, and even here on on the podcast uh, a, a little while ago, we have had very little of that this summer. I mean, the, all yes. the all the big of, quote unquote big events that everybody thought was going to be the big deal this summer, a lot of them just fell flat. Uh, yeah, back, on the box office and you know with audiences. Yeah, uh,
2: I would not have guessed that Barbie and Oppenheimer would both outperform The Flash and Indiana Jones opening weekend, but you know, here we are. So, uh, <laughs> definitely not something that I saw coming. So I'm tossing my predictions out the window by this point, but hopefully this is a sign of good things to come and these movies will have some staying power and we'll get to see more, um, creative and, uh thought provoking films like this one. Well,
1: It'll I'm sure the studios are going to see how much egg we do end up on our face. After oh,
2: our- yeah. <laughs> the- I, I'm dreading the summer review podcast because I know it's not going to be pretty for me.
3: Yeah. Well, it wasn't pretty for Hollywood. So um, yeah. and, uh you know, I'm sure that they're already trying to think of uh, how would they can recreate this um, uh, this phenomenon, uh, of course. You know it's gonna be canned and and probably won't work, but they're that's not gonna stop them from trying to repeat this uh Lauren, I'm curious from you like what what did you notice about the box office and how unusual of an event this kind of thing was?
4: um, I think meme culture cannot be underplayed for how you know how strong the turnout was. I mean, you couldn't have two more opposite movies released on the same weekend. Um, I am not as optimistic as Ashley is about lessons studios are going to learn. I'm more in your camp, Mike. Like, people are going to try and manufacture. Like, okay, do you remember Morbius, right? And everyone was like, it's Morbid time. And then it got, (laughs) like, it was out of theaters. And then there was, like, a campaign to bring it back into theaters. And so Sony, like, listened to the fans, but then no one went, right? Like, it's kind of the reverse of that. In a way. And I think, (laughs) I mean, I'm excited because Oppenheimer would normally seem like a December release. Like it would normally seem like one of those New York, LA releases in time for like Oscar season, you know, and then everyone else would get it in like January. So I think the fact that it's Christopher Nolan is a huge selling point. There was someone on Twitter today who is optimistic that this bodes well for Killers of the Flower Moon and i don't i don't agree i don't think it's going to translate as well um even though Scorsese is is a draw and is a name i don't think it's going to have the same like cultural cachet and if it's the only movie coming out that weekend or even if there's like an animated movie it's not it's not the same right it's not the same and i think women have always been discounted as well and i think Barbie is showing that women are eager to come out to the movies and want something to come out for and that we have income to spend. I mean, I remember even when Girls Trip came out, I was working in a movie theater then, and we had sell-out showings of all of these white ladies and soccer moms coming to see Girls Trip just to have a good time and like hang out with their friends and drink margaritas and things. So I think. The female demographic cannot be discounted, but I don't think any r- pertinent lessons are going to be learned. I think studios are gonna learn like all the wrong things, and like you said, Mike, they're gonna try and manufacture yeah you know they're gonna form their own two word like moniker, you know, like yeah, benefer. You know, it doesn't work if Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez create their own nickname. Like you can't create, you <laughs> can't create a nickname. It was, it was the internet that came up with Morbid Time, you know? Um, so yeah, I think I'm excited for what this means for theaters though, because truly theaters have never been this busy all year. Um, and even last year, I feel like, uh, not entirely remembering everything that came out last year, but, still working in the theater industry. I mean, it was not busy like weekend to weekend. So Mm. I think theaters really, really need this. And hopefully both movies will have uh, a nice set of legs on them.
3: Yeah. I mean, we'll see. Uh, um, I mean, we've got, Haunted mentioned coming up this weekend, and we'll see if that cuts into it. And I know that Tom Cruise is just nipping at the butt like, hey, I want to come back to give me some more of my premium screens back because I want more of those. Right. But I don't know if he's earned them based on his uh, based on Mission Impossible's first weekend. So they might they be like, a hey, week,
4: though, that's the thing. There was only a week for Mission Impossible.
3: Right. I know that he wants them back. He was like, no, I because I, I think he he's kind of surprised by this whole thing, too. Um uh, but because he thought I am, I am the maverick. I am the savior of the cinema. I will, I, people will come in droves to see my next movie. And they were like, eh, we're good." <laughs> but
4: I saw it. I saw it, Tom.
3: We yeah, <laughs> we, we did too. We did too. and we enjoyed it. We um, like him. But,
1: we really, really like him.
3: <laughs> but let's get into the movie itself. Uh, I'm eager to talk to uh, Ashley. I, I like I said, I read your review online already, but I so I know. Uh, spoilers, And we will be spoiling the movie, too. So if people haven't watched Oppenheimer, I mean, I know it's based on historical events. Uh, bomb does go off and, you know, uh, things like that. But, um, uh, you know, we will be spoiling the movie itself. So if you really want to be surprised or want to have your viewing unspoiled... Uh, feel free to go see the movie, you know, and then four or five hours later, you can come back and listen to us all talk about it. So, uh, Ashley, um, how did you feel about Oppenheimer, uh, when you came out after that long three hour
2: Yeah, so, um, I was really looking forward to this one. Uh, Christopher Nolan is a director that I've really enjoyed following. He's my husband's favorite director. So, um, naturally this was on my list of most anticipated movies of the year. What's interesting about this movie is that it is really long, like it's three hours and just thinking, you know what, there might've been some places where he could have tightened it up, but yeah, I never felt bored or antsy while watching it. Like I felt that what I was seeing on screen was compelling. Um, Less of the film was about the Manhattan project itself than I was expecting. I thought it was interesting that it kind of goes through some of his early life and then what happens to him later with the pseudo um, uh, yeah, trials and how trials not trials right? Y- yes, yeah, <laughs> trials with air quotes for those listening for audio only. But just fascinating, and um, it's important to study this period of history because it truly it, it was a world changing event, and I think what makes this film so great is that Christopher Nolan is able to take the, the genre of a biopic, which can sometimes feel kind of dry and not always exciting, but he makes it really compelling the way he shoots this film with his cinematography. The sound design is just incredible. I mean, when you see the atomic bomb test go off and then you have to wait that period for then the sound to come in and then Throughout the film where you can hear the people stomping on the floor and as he hears it and it sounds kind of like a bomb, the countdown going off, and then just how that comes to symbolize like the horror and the ex- existential dread that he's feeling. Um, the music is great, too. It just felt like a really well put together package and then all the performances, there are so many famous faces. I feel like I could have put together a Hollywood bingo card before watching the movie and then check it off. Like, Oh, there's Kenneth Branagh. There's Matt Damon. Especially people who um, he's
3: worked with before.
2: Yes. Yes. So, but playing real historical characters and just the fact that this movie is not, is definitely not a feel good film. It challenges you. It kind of forces you to sit with And think about this catastrophic historical event, which we're still discussing years later in the light of World War II, was an ethical decision made, and it it's important for us to continue to discuss these things because, unfortunately, the threat, unlike Oppenheimer originally believed the threat of nuclear war, has not gone away. So, um, yeah, there's so much to unpack in this film, but I think definitely a great, great movie, and I'm excited that a lot of people went to see it this weekend.
3: Or question, quick question, uh, because I know we usually talk about like expectations and things going in about what you're familiar with and what you're not. Were you familiar with Oppenheimer's story um, in any detail before going into this? Was it a was it education as well?
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of thought I was, I was familiar with him in the Manhattan project years ago. We took a family vacation to uh, Los Alamos, New Mexico, and oh, then wow. toured some of So that was, it was really interesting to see the film too, like some of the sites that I remembered knowing Christopher Nolan, I would not be surprised if he filmed he on location in some of those historical settings, but it was really interesting to see some of the settings that I recognized from going on a vacation there as a kid and, yeah, there was a lot I learned that I didn't know, especially about, again, his so-called trials with, um, and then just some of the, like, uh, just how the whole team was put together mm-hmm. and um, just, yeah, it it was fascinating. So even though I felt like I knew some about the history going in, there was more that I learned. And um, as soon as I walked out of the theater, I wanted to start Googling and um, seeing more about the history. So, which I think is, is a good film, good thing for a film like this to do.
3: Absolutely. Uh, Lauren, what about you? What was your, what's your history of, I mean, your, your knowledge of the historical event as well as your feelings about Nolan as a filmmaker uh, going into the movie and then were you satisfied coming out?
4: Um, so I, knew less about Oppenheimer than it sounds like Ashley Ashley knows more than me, but like I knew who J. Robert Oppenheimer was. Um we did study, you know, the Manhattan Project and some of that like in school, um especially as it pertains like when you cover the World War II section of your textbook, you know. Um, but that was that was largely it, just kind of knowing who he was and and that he is, you know, the father of, you know, nuclear warfare but um i really enjoy christopher nolan films um i didn't love tenet i did see it in theaters i did have issues with the sound mixing in there uh which i did not have in oppenheimer there were only a few lines of dialogue where my brain was like wait what like i but it didn't tenet you miss a key story point if you can't hear the movie like it's very um but uh like I love I love following, which was like Nolan's first like film foray. Like I love that movie. Uh I love like the first half of Interstellar. Um, I, I really I enjoy Christopher Nolan just to see what he's going to do next, right? Even if something doesn't quite hit with me. Um for Oppenheimer, I was excited, but not. It wasn't, it was not at all my most anticipated movie of the year. That was actually Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Um, <laughs> but I was, I was excited to kind of like join the hype, right? And not miss out on 70 millimeter IMAX screenings and miss out on like the Barbenheimer, you know, like thing that was happening, cultural thing that was going on. Um, on my podcast, we rate movies. If they're less than fine, fine, or more than fine, right? And it's just, like, something fun that we do. I feel like I saw a completely different movie than the majority of people online or that I'm friends with because I thought Oppenheimer was fine as a movie. Um, It didn't blow me away, no pun intended. Um,
3: we intend the pun on these parts.
4: I, <laughs> so it's okay.
3: are very good. I, uh... <laughs>
4: I think I wanted a different movie and that's something that's on me. And that's something that I have to reconcile. Um, I think I wanted more about the repercussions of like atomic warfare and things and less about like I could have I could have done kind of without his early years, even though the poisoning of the professor is like a a thing, um, uh, a thing that he actually did. I was reading a review today. Sorry, my brain just like stopped working and I was trying to figure out what to say. Um, I was reading like a review today where someone was like, let's talk about that ending of Oppenheimer. And I was like, what is there to talk about in the ending of Oppenheimer? Like it doesn't end on a cliffhanger. Like I don't really quite understand. Yeah, it's not like Inception. (laughs) Right. It's not
3: edit. It's not. But it was like,
4: let's talk about that like chilling ending to Oppenheimer. I did not leave that movie crying I did not leave that movie emotional in any way i that movie did not affect me and I know that that probably sounds weird but i it was fine like I don't know i'm I'm in the minority because I didn't give it like four four and a half and five stars like on letterbox I just
3: well, I've seen I've seen both letterboxed and other places. I've seen the pendulum swing. So I, I for for everybody it seems like I've seen that has called this his best film stroke of genius. I've seen the other end that say like this is his worst and this is horrible. Um I don't so, think it's
4: his worst by any means. I think it's almost so a you Tarantino. sound like you're
3: right like in the middle.
4: <laughs> I'm in the middle. It's kind of like a Tarantino situation for me where like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is probably his his masterpiece of a film but it's not in my opinion his best film right like personally it's not his best but like cinematically and just subjectively or like objectively it's the best and so i can see that for oppenheimer where like if this was his swan song and the final movie that he ever makes like what a way to go out right like i can respect that but i just the cast was constantly like a rotating door you don't get to know any of the characters except for Oppenheimer. Like you don't get to know, like Florence Pugh is absolutely wasted. Emily Blunt is almost wasted except for like the quote unquote trial scene where she's like, Oh, I'm sorry. 16, no 17, no 18 years ago. Like that part was so good. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's constantly like, Oh, Hey, it's that guy. Oh, we don't see that guy again. Oh, Hey, it's that guy. Oh, we don't see that guy again. Like, I I think it it was, like, a who's who as far as, like, oh, look at all the people that want to be in this movie and people that I know and that I always work with. And that also didn't really work for me. Um, Who's the major guy that actually ran the Manhattan Project? Uh, It wasn't actually Oppenheimer. He was the guy that did the, like, test bomb in Los Alamos. The sons of bitches guy. Yes. I didn't even know that guy was in the movie. Someone had to tell me who the actor was that played him.
3: (laughs) So I
1: think
4: I just wanted something else out of the movie. And like, as a movie, it's more than fine. Like as a crafted film, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's more than fine. But as an enjoyment, as a movie that tries to like pull at your emotions and really get you to like think, I was not left with that. Okay.
3: That's fair. That's absolutely fair. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, that's, that's something that, uh, yeah, I, I definitely want to hear more of and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get to hopefully some more details, but, uh, Mike, how did you feel about it?
1: It's interesting because I've studied Oppenheimer in the past through, you know, going out to Los Alamos and going out to, you know, into studying, you know, the Smithsonian and, you know, cause you go to the air and space Museum, they have. You know you're gay, and you know all that type of stuff. And so you read up all about it, and it's just interesting the por- the cherry picking of his life that they did through this and everything. And I, it's a typical Christopher Nolan type film because present time is always is color. That's what he did with Inception and such. Anytime they went into a different period or a different time, it was black and white that's what they did with this both with future and also with the past and it was very it was very well done um agree with what lauren said the characters were rushed way way rushed and it was it was fascinating though because yeah you you were there to focus on oppenheimer and you saw him at different stages in his life you saw him in the future when he was being offered you know the job at princeton and then he was then being you know then they went further back when he was trying to join the communist party and you know and then or unionized the professors at berkeley and it was just real interesting the hopping and the skipping and that was confusing to some parts and christopher nolan bless his soul you know, in past films, his audio sucked big time and everything. This one, I didn't find it as much. It was very easy to follow and such. I still would have loved to have subtitles on it, though. I thought, you know, that always, you know, whenever we watch any kind of movie or TV show now on on streaming, it's always having, you know, subtitles on just, you know, not because of accents or anything. It's just, easier sometimes to understand some of the dialogue and i think that could have benefited in this film and everything um i did think you know the actors i loved the actor they had with you know who played oppenheimer you know petty drenfall was just amazing and to see that actor as oppenheimer was just it was great i think he acted the crap out of it um you know and you also had robert downey jr and you thought he wasn't a bad guy at first and you know then you know it was interesting because judy and i on the we had like a 45 minute ride home from the movie theater that we had seen it at and we were you know the whole way she was like on wikipedia or other Hmm. websites reading about all the different characters and we were just discussing it and that's a sign of a good movie when you can do something like that and did i walk out of that movie theater with a giddy feeling oh hell no no not at all it's not that type of film but it was like that that was like a movie i i walked out of going okay this makes sense i liked it and i liked the portrayal of some of the characters and some of the actors but i think you know overall I think, you know, the whole thing about the affair that he, you know, that he went back to, kept on going back to his ex-wife and, you know, and it's just like until she committed suicide and it was just, it was interesting. I thought that was rushed. I thought, you know, him getting involved with his current, his second wife and it was just like oh out of nowhere and then for them to announce later on oh yeah i was sleeping with this other person it was just like it was like woof where did the hell did that come from so it was just like okay that was a little tough the one thing i loved about this movie and i'm going to come out and say it is there was no cgi it was all practical effects yep and for them to have to do that explosion with practical effects was pretty damn amazing and everything and i remember seeing the the actual you know f- um test films that they did for the actual atomic bomb blow at los alamos they showed what it looked like and they couldn't come close to it with practical effects but they did a really really great job and that was pretty awesome
3: yeah um yeah certainly a lot there um i um it's funny because it's it's You know, and I'm not disagreeing with any of you, but it's just so funny to hear like, oh, well, you know, this felt rushed. This felt it's a three hour movie. Like, 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 how can anything feel rushed if there's like a three hour movie? So, I mean, like, how can you expand on? Oh, let's expand on that. Oh, yeah. You want to sit there for like another three hours? Um, Wait till the
1: director's cut. It'll be okay.
3: Yeah, I am sure. But and, you know. um, uh, All right. So. I'm a Nolan fan as well. Ever since I saw Memento on the big screen, the first time it came out, I was like, this guy is brilliant. I've followed him. Uh it used to be religiously, not so much anymore, but it used to be religiously. Uh um and uh this is a diff- this is a interesting movie. In a lot of ways, it's got all the Nolan tropes. I mean, he wants to he likes to film in IMAX. Uh he likes to film on film. He likes to uh, use Cillian Murphy, he likes to use Matt Damon, he likes to use you know all these other actors, these secondary actors that, that fit in here. Um, traditionally, his female characters are not great. Um, you know, so I mean, it's got like a lot of like check boxes. Yep, that's a Nolan movie, that's a Nolan movie, that's a Nolan movie. Um, but I think I, I mean, the the uh. The examination and the profiling that he does on this one person is something that I, I don't think I've seen him do before. And it's a focus. Um, he it, It's almost like he shows Oppenheimer and then, yes, there's all these bodies that are orbiting around him that, yeah, they're interesting and they're played by interesting actors. So it's like, oh, I'd like to spend some time on that planet. Nope, can't because we're focused on this one, right? Um, the three hours blew by for me. I would, there was never a point where I was like, Ooh, I need to, like, I'm looking at my watch. I'm doing this or whatever. I was, when it was over, I was like, that's it already. Like, I, I was really surprised how engaged I was in this. Um, you know, does it need to be an IMAX on 70 millimeter? No, but I wish all movies were because it's a great experience. Uh, <laughs> um, So, I mean, for people to say, like, oh, it doesn't need to be, it's like, it's amazing when they are. Like, yeah, but you don't see any big action sequences, but sometimes just watching Cillian Murphy's face for, like, a few minutes is engaging on that level, you know? Uh, I've heard, you know... Pendulum swing the other way and say like, "Hey, the bomb sucked. Like it was just like it was so disappointing that did not seem. They even got the mushroom cloud wrong, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I thought it was great. I love the effect of like, ooh, let's watch the visuals and then boom, the audio hits and everybody like. I mean, that was an impact that I I i thought in in the IMAX theater I was in. I mean, you felt it like you felt it when it, there was an impact. Um, so it, it worked for me on those levels. Um, I don't know my history well enough to know if Lewis Strauss was a really bad guy and really did orchestrate all those things. I I don't know uh, enough about a lot. I mean, certainly, you know, when it comes to advanced physics, actually, I'm sorry, when it comes to rudimentary, rudimentary physics, when it say, comes yeah. to introductory physics... I will fail every time. So does a lot of this go like right over my head? Yes. But I get it. You know, I've watched Star Trek enough. It's just mumbo jumbo to me anyway, right? It's like, okay, yes, bomb works. We know. Like, like like it you know. Um the only thing that's impressive, you know, that I the only thing that makes this more impressive is that it's real. It's based on real events. It's based on real physics. This really happened. Um the Struggles that Oppenheimer goes through in this movie from the beginning, from the very beginning when he's having the nightmares till the very end about whether this was the right thing to do, whether he should have done more or less, whether he should have gotten these people involved, that people like the you know what he was doing it for, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. He's a very complicated man. He's not a he's not a saint. And yet I still felt compelled by his dilemma, uh, multiple dilemmas going through this movie. And I think that I, I don't know if I've ever seen Nolan portray that as well as he does in this movie. Like to watch a man actually just struggle with an endeavor and the after effects of it. And not just the after effects of the bomb, because we never really see that. But we know, you know, i I, I don't need to see. What happened on Hiroshima? I've seen the footage of Hiroshima. Like, I I I don't want to like. I'm not paying twenty five dollars to see that on a big like. That's gonna that's gonna really upset me. And I get it, you know. I mean, he, you know, he feels it, and I and I believe he feels it. So, um, I I really, I'm kind of at the end of the day, along with lauren on this one a little bit i I like it a little bit more than she does but it's not i don't think it's Nolan's best movie but i don't think it's uh i think it's better than fine but i don't think it's it's like i mean there's a lot of things that he could have done better different whatever it could have been a more compelling story etc etc maybe juggle a little bit maybe reduce some of the the cast a bit. I mean, I know it's a big project and he's like, he likes to get everybody involved and all that kind of stuff, but it is kind of confusing, especially when they're all like, kind of look the same and you kind of get guys confused with one another. They all have those nice 40 haircuts, you know, like, <laughs> like with hats and whatever in suits. And you're like, and I'm like, okay. You know, it's like, Oh, Casey Affleck. I know that guy. Like, you know, like, okay. I, I, he stands out, but it's like, um, you know, Rami Malek and, and Josh Harnett do great work. Um, so I definitely appreciate the performances here, which is not usually something I say in a Nolan movie. I don't usually come out of a Nolan movie going, man, I think that guy should win Best Oscar because he that was a hell of a performance. Um, usually Nolan is much more interested in, you know, and in and this one too. He's like, I'm telling storylines from three, four different periods and I'm going to mix them all up in a blender and you have to guess which one is which. And yes, I'm going to change the, the black and white or color or the aspect ratio and here and here and here. And you just have to keep up. And it's like, it's, it's, it's sometimes it can be kind of tricky, but it's also kind of fun. I mean, that's the thing about Chris as well. I think is that he doesn't, he never goes, Hey audience, you people are stupid and I'm going to spoon feed you. He's like, no, I'm this is the stuff that interests me, and I'm gonna tell it this way, and, and I hope you can keep up with it and, and I hope it's interesting for you. And and that was enough for me. Um so that's that's my overall feel. Uh Ashley, was there anything else about the movie that uh you wanted to uh point out, like good or bad?
2: Yeah, well, I am going to be very shocked if uh, Cillian Murphy's uh, name is not included on the Best Actor list come award season. Just a great performance. One of the scenes that really stood out to me is where he's walking into the main hall, the celebration at the end, when everyone's all excited for him, like the project has worked, but he takes a moment to realize, like, my project has worked, and I have brought this apocalyptic weapon to the world and where it flashed back and forth between people cheering, people screaming, seeing some of like replications of what the effect of the bomb would have been was just really, I mean, it really just made me stop as a viewer and just really think about what he was going through in that moment. I thought was, um, was very compelling and he did a good job. And, um, I, liked that they I I agree that I think this is some of, new, of Nolan's most nuanced character work um I like that he gave I mean it would have been nice to see Emily Blunt maybe get to do a little bit more but that she just wasn't the stereotypical like 1940s housewife like oh everything is good and I'm just supporting my husband like he portrayed some of her struggles and how she had her own flaws and things like that too so there could have been more that she got to do, but I I did appreciate that he worked um, some of those layers into it. And yeah, it just seeing this film makes me even more excited for Nolan to keep pushing himself and trying new things. And I like that. He's not just a stagnant director. Like this is a completely different film from Tenet. Both still feel like Christopher Nolan films, but I like where he's pushing himself and I, I can't wait to see what he does next.
3: Absolutely. I think, uh, to your point, the, the scene where, you know, the, you know, they just, they've just used the, the bombs and, you know, he's, he's talking in front of the crowd or whatever, and then they're stomping their feet and it's uh, amazing. And he's like, you know, he's like, Oh man, how do I, I don't, you know, how do I reconcile, you know, uh, um, uh, how do I feed into this crowd? Cause I really just feel like, you know, we just, we just killed a bunch of people. Right. Like he he knows that. And yet, you know, he can't say that, but instead, so he's saying things like, you know, I bet the Japanese didn't like it, you know, like, and, and, and like the crowd's going wild and he's like, you can tell he's just not feeling that, but yet, but it's, 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 we're at war. I mean, it's a whole complicated issue. It's not as simple as like, Oh, we just killed a bunch of people. Shame on us. Right. Like it's, these are decisions that some of the, which he didn't make, um, or he wasn't the only one that, you know, yeah. he wasn't the guy who actually said like dropped the bomb here. Um, but I did find that scene very powerful. And regarding his wife, I did find some of the scenes that she had really powerful too. At the end when he's getting his award as he's older and that guy, you know, the H bomb guy comes over to shake his, his, their hand. And she won't, not only will she want not shake her hand, but they show her and she's like, she's getting ready to spit in the guy's, face you can yeah. see it and it's just it, but it looks i mean it's really really a fun scene um, yeah she I, does I,
2: it with dignity but <laughs> she like stares him down yeah
3: you're like if you don't move pretty soon you're gonna get spit on uh, yeah <laughs> uh lauren what about you what's uh something else about the movie good or bad that you, you took away from it
4: um real quick the the scene that you're talking about with benny safty is i think teller was his last name that yeah. actually really happened with kitty uh, she mm-hmm. refused to shake his yes. hand and yes, he I said he that, went yeah. home. He said he went home and cried that Kitty had, had like, you know, deflected him so much. So like that, that was actually, I really liked that. And I really liked Benny Safty. I do agree that Murphy should be in the Oscar conversation. Uh, I think, uh, Robert Downey Jr. also should be
3: interesting. Yeah. Um,
4: in the discussion. Um, I think he was, fantastic in my opinion um i he's so,
3: he's so good doesn't he even just make it look easy
4: he's oh it was it was so good i i was really excited to see something like that from him because we haven't seen a lot of that since he's been doing you know iron man which and he's a great tony stark don't get me wrong obviously sure. but you know going back to like Chaplin and like less than zero like he can act like he has talent you know and not just like and tropic thunder you know like he can do comedy. like he is so good and i'm i'm hoping now that marvel his time with marvel is done he'll he'll be more
3: he can do more he things reminded like me this.
4: so much of his dad like oh, he looks so much like his dad too um i was I like thought wow, he looked man like, i
3: thought he looked like jeremy irons i kept thinking man he really, really? looks like jeremy irons I look I was bit, he looks like his it.
4: dad like he looked like you know senior
3: he looks uh, like, like wow. i mean both 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 Murphy and Danny Jr. look like they lost a lot of weight for these movies. Yes. Uh, and, oh, my gosh. But, Especially you know, it's a, it's a great contrast because Murphy looks... I don't want to... Like, I said, like, you know, Danny Jr. makes it look so easy. But there's a smoothness to it that he does... It just it just looks like he fits into that character no matter what. It looks like Murphy is just tortured all the time. <laughs> like, like, he yeah. is just like... There's nothing easy about this role. Like, if... if I mean, this looks like a movie part that... I mean I hope it's not true but it looks like a movie part that is like going to haunt him as a person for a long time because yeah. he had to go there kind of like Heath Ledger and Joker like he had to go there
4: yeah.
3: and um that's probably not easy to come back from
4: No I was wondering that too mm. Um no I mean I actually I'm looking forward to a rewatch um kind of like what I did with Tenet like I saw it in theaters and then when it was available for like home use
2: yeah, Put some headphones
4: um, on. <laughs> I watched it again with <laughs> subtitles, you know. So I'm I'm looking forward to kind of watching it again, like alone or just with my husband because he wasn't with me, so he hasn't seen it yet. Um, and just really seeing how I feel. Like maybe it was the experience, maybe because I I was with people. You know, like I was with friends, and then our IMAX screening was sold out, and we were like fifth row, so we were really close to the screen. Like, oh, so maybe, right. maybe like all these things factored into why I wasn't like emotionally invested. Um, I honestly didn't like the frame story of like the hearings. Mm-hmm. Like they they build, they build, they build, and then to me, they're kind of much ado about nothing. Mm-hmm. Like they kind of just def- like like i don't know like you're supposed to get catharsis that robert downey jr that strauss gets his comeuppance but like eh, not not really like right. I just, and because I it know, comes it was, out of
3: the blue you're kind of like why is he we still don't know why uh Ramy's character did that like we don't know why, exactly like, and
4: like, like that, so it's, and it, I it think comes out of nowhere that goes with the like revolving door of kind of of yeah, There's a lot of like, things
3: that are done here yeah. that are not from other characters that we don't ever get. I was
4: wondering fall? why Raimi And I was expecting a flashback to where Raimi like overhears Strauss or Raimi overhears something Oppenheimer says. and that or, changes the aid, his
3: or the aid, or the aid work like, or Strauss's aid, because it looked like he was in on that. Like he was like in on it, like going up against yeah. Strauss. Like, and I love know?
4: that. And I thought he was underutilized as well. Like I thought there was so much potential. And I realize it's not like, it's a weird kind of ensemble film because it's not really an ensemble film.
3: No, it's a, they're all even orbiting though one you've guy. They're got, all like, they're all like moons you know. in orbit rather than yeah. like a group effort. It's a yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I agree.
4: So, but I'm looking forward to watching it again and I, I didn't hate it. So people out there yelling no. at me, I just.
3: <laughs> don't, don't yell at her. <laughs> don't even, yeah, even if she did hate it, don't yell at her. Like, it's okay. Yeah. It's all right.
1: We uh, could point her to the podcast so they could yell at her there. So. Yeah, yeah,
3: well, maybe, you know, whatever. Um, uh, Mike, what about you? Is there anything else about the movie that really stood out for you, either good or bad?
1: No, I, the characterization of Oppenheimer was great. I think that, you know, was the reason you go to it. And I'm glad that, you know, they didn't end the movie with the bomb being dropped, you know, or the testing. I think that would have been just like, I loved how he was haunted um, from that point on, from when they dropped the bombs on Japan. And because he was like, you know, at first he was like, no, you don't have to do it. Germany surrendered. You know, you don't have to, we don't have to do this now. And the general was like, nope, we still have to do it. And it was just real interesting because when he was at that, you know, pep rally or something to celebrate, the bombs being dropped and everything and him looking around and him seeing people with their faces being peeled off or the burnt bodies. And he changed from that point on, he was almost like, you know, I let the genie out of the bottle, you know, I am now death, you know, type thing. And it was just, it was interesting and such. I agree. The parts about the hearing about him losing his, clearance that was a little too much i think and you know i could have easily seen them you know doing you know just saying you know it be a sidebar or something you know oh you lost your clearance because of you know you know your past and everything i don't think they needed to go into as much detail with that um the senate hearings yeah you know i guess you you needed that to Show that Robert Downey Jr.'s character was not a nice guy, that he wasn't Oppenheimer's friend as they were trying to make him out to be at the, with colleagues and everything. And it was just that I could understand, but Robert Downey Jr. was just amazing in the, in this movie. I thought he, you know, he blew it away and it was good to see him up on the screen again, not playing Tony Stark, not playing Sherlock Holmes. Or, you know, and it was, he was great. And if he doesn't get nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this role, it'll be, you know, he'll be robbed. I just, you know, and that's the thing with summer movies is a lot of times the, you know, the Academy doesn't recognize summer movies and such. You know, their memory is short. And so I'll be very curious to see what comes out of that and everything. And, you know, I'll I'll be interested to see where it goes. Um, You know, I saw a review that did say, oh, you know, the movie was like 45 minutes too long. And it's like they had to make it longer, you know, that long because they needed so much to fit in. They couldn't go on. All right. Here's him just already working on the Manhattan Project here. They dropped the bomb. Boom. He got the, you know, award from Lyndon Johnson. Boom. He dies. Okay, that's the movie. So, you know, they had to tie in into it and everything. So I do understand.
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a preference. I mean, I didn't feel like it was long because it like I said, it flew by for me. Mm-hmm. Um however, you know, if I was going into it looking at the story, the 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 third part of the hearings with Strauss that's not really an Oppenheimer focused event, right? Like, I'm like, why is that? I mean, it's great to see Robert Downey Jr., but maybe we could have used less of that and more of, you know, um, support characters and whatever. It was, so, but
1: it was interesting, too, with the hearings and everything. And when he got voted, oh, who voted against me? And they said, oh, this newcomer, you know, the senator from uh, Massachusetts, Ke- John Kennedy and it's like yeah
3: i mean kennedy gets a drop name drop in there which is like eh, whatever it's like yeah Um, i was like yeah uh, you know that's that doesn't go anywhere obviously because it's the end but um but i wanted to point out too my favorite part like when i watched the trailers for this movie the one thing that was intriguing to me was that they showed in the trailer they showed uh, uh oppenheimer uh chatting or meeting with albert einstein and i was like I don't care about the rest of the movie. That's a conversation that I want to hear. Like, like that's a conversation that I want to hear. And what's really fun is that it's in the first part of the movie. It's in the first 10 minutes of the movie. And yet we don't hear it. And I'm like, Oh man, Chris, you're killing me. You're killing me. And of course, later on, I kind of knew that, uh, from history or whatever that, you know, that, that, uh, uh, Einstein was asked or whatever to be part of Manhattan project he was like nope <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to be part of that um uh so um the other encounter with them with him was pretty interesting uh when he's kind of helping out with the math a little bit or whatever but then the very last scene I do think the movie sticks the landing for me personally because we do get that conversation between Albert and and robert and i'm like and it and it and it's perfect tom conti as albert einstein nails it i think he's amazing in this uh i think tom Conti is one of those actors that doesn't get near enough credit um and he's great in this he just kind of immerses himself into that role you just see einstein um and i that that ending conversation that they have did not disappoint me whatsoever um i thought that was a perfect way to end it for me personally because that was what i was most interested in seeing so i think that was great the way that wrapped up and uh um the fact that you know uh albert was like they're gonna they're gonna hate you because you're gonna give them something and then they're gonna turn on you and uh and all of that and um It was just a really, really wonderful way to end it and a nice way to bookend it. And and you get the two probably most. I mean, look, there were there were tons of Nobel Prize winners in that cast, like as far as characters. Right. Of course. But I mean, pop culture wise, historically Oppenheimer, Einstein, those are names that everybody's going to know forever. And, and to have those be like the figures for at the beginning and at the end of the movie, I think really was a way, great way to bookend it. So I credit Chris for that. So overall, I credit Chris on a, on a pretty great movie, great movie experience. Uh, you know, especially when you like, you know, combine that with Barbie, uh. <laughs> so uh so yeah looks like it, we're all kind of mixed in a little different place on this one but that's cool i like uh i like hearing from everybody and and what they thought and I'm, and like most nolan movies this is a movie this is a movie film that you know a year from now we could all watch it again and we could be in totally different places oh very much <laughs> and not be able
1: to so... throw the movie theater so it's you
3: <laughs> absolutely So I will say too, if you get the chance, it's still on the big screen. It's still on IMAX. It's still in 70 millimeters. See it that way. I know it's a little bit more money, but damn, that's the way, I mean, movies look so good that way. And Nolan does it better than anybody. I think, um, if I had the opportunity to see Barbie that way, I'd love to do that too, but nobody makes, you know, 70 millimeter movies like that, like Nolan anyway. So, um, so yeah, I think, uh, that's it for now. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back
2: I'm going
0: Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about my favorite L.J. Smith book series. L.J. Smith is an author that really defined my childhood love of supernatural and horror worlds. For those who aren't familiar with her name, she's the author of The Vampire Diaries, but for some reason, that's the only series that took off outside of the realm of books, if you know what I mean. We're going to start with my all-time favorite series of hers. The Secret Circle, which, when this came out, it was a three-book trilogy. They later added books to it, but the original three are still just the best story arc that she wrote ever, in my opinion. It follows a young girl who moves to her parents' hometown and learns that her family was part of a group that studied magic and passed it down to different generations. The characters are great, the story is thrilling, and it has a great beginning, middle, and end to it all. It's such a fun book well-written adventure to go on the forbidden game is another trilogy that she wrote that follows a young teenage girl who purchases a game for her boyfriend's birthday party the game ends up being more than what she expected and releases a shadow man a creature that makes your worst nightmares come true this story is so fun and it's such a good read and in my case also a really great reread Pretty much any of L.J. Smith's series are great reads, and she wove such a great world of vampires, witches, werewolves, and other creatures of the night. The two I mentioned are my two favorites, but the other series she has, The Night World, Dark Visions, and even The Vampire Diaries, are all great reads as well. And if you like YA novels or you're looking for a great series for a young reader, I highly recommend all of these. They have all been re-released time and time again, so they're easy to find, but the original 90s covers will forever hold a special place in my heart with their amazing art. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out.
1: For over six years, the 42 cast has worked to provide panels discussing topics from every corner of the Geekosphere. Continue with us as we count down to episode 200 and try something a little different. Celebrity Guest Contributions Yes, Emma Dumont from The Gifted is partnering with us to talk about science, movies, and so much more You can only find this great content on the 42Cast It's your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything Folks at home, thank you for joining us tonight. This was a, a good one to talk about. And, you know, there was no way we could have done a three-hour podcast talking about scene by scene yeah. of the movie. We were thinking no, we could for a little bit. We've done that in the past, but not tonight, you know. And I don't know, you know, some of the scenes I think we could have cut out, you know, so it would have been okay. But it's awesome that you guys joined us tonight. And let's thank our crew for joining us tonight. Lauren, you made it through your first episode with us. Yay. I-
4: did it! Yay! It was so fun.
1: Thank you for having us. So, thank you for being here. Actually, <laughs> our, thank you
4: for having. You're you're welcome. Now thank you for.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. You know.
4: Thank you for uh, inviting me and having me on. Um, and I hope hopefully it won't be another like 13 years before
1: <laughs> no.
4: before I'm back.
1: No, definitely not. Definitely not. This was awesome. I really liked it. Anything you want to shout out about or promote?
4: Um, I just want to promote uh, my own socials and stuff again. Um, I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd and Instagram as That Movie is Fine. And then um, also, I do have my podcast, That Movie is Fine, The Podcast with my friend Aaron Hudson. And we have a Facebook page and uh, an Instagram, That Movie is Fine Podcast. And we're wherever podcasts are sold.
1: That is awesome. <laughs> Find it wherever your fine podcasts are found. She's even there. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome and Ashley Pauls thank you thank you so much as always
2: oh thank you it's always so much fun to chat movies you're my favorite people to talk about movies with
1: oh it's always a pleasure my dear anything you want to shout out about
2: yeah just as mentioned previously I sadly did not get to participate in Barbenheimer but I am planning to do belated um seeing Barbie later this week and we'll put my thoughts up on the ESO blog so looking forward to, see. to seeing to see a very different film Land. yes
1: this will be uh maybe
3: not as different as you think oh oh interesting
1: intriguing exactly there might be a bomb or two in barbie oh never mind i won't say anything about
2: yeah it. no spoilers yeah
1: no and mr mike gordon we've made it through another one my friend we did and as always it's my pleasure anything you want to shout out about sir uh
3: yeah before i get to that too i gotta i gotta i gotta give uh, Lauren credit for being on brand by saying like, you know, for Oppenheimer, her, 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 like that movie was fine. <laughs> like She's right on brand there. Uh, so I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, look, uh, it seems like Substack is like taking off. Like I see a lot of people have newsletters, like sort of blog things with Substack or whatever. And I'm sort of making my way. And a lot of people I know are are doing that sort of thing. But one person of interest that I think that uh, deserves this particular shout out is, Millie D. Shiroko, who uh, used to be a programmer at TCM, she did the TCM Underground, she wrote a recent recently came out with a book. Well, she got dismissed late last year from TCM, unceremoniously, and uh, she's uh, still struggling to figure out where what her next chapter is going to be. But she has recently started a Substack newsletter. Uh It's called professional sweetheart. It's based on one of her favorite movies. If you know TCM, if you know classic movies, you probably know where that movie came from title came from. If you don't Google it, um, And, uh, but I've always, you know, I appreciate her opinion and uh, it's probably going to be as fun as her programming was on TCM Underground. I expect nothing less uh, for this, uh, this Substack uh, newsletter to be fun as well. She's going to talk about, you know, her feelings about different movies and and bring some uh, cult classics to people's attention, et cetera, et cetera. So it should be a fun time. So I'll have a link in the show notes, but if you go to Substack, put in Professional Sweetheart and you should be able to pull it up.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Definitely looking forward to reading about that one. All right. My shout out real quick is to the fine folks who braved San Diego comic con folks. You know, it was a weird year for it this time. All the big studios pulled out and it was a true comic con for once. And I have a couple of friends who actually went and they could not give me enough raves about how fun it was this year. And, it was, you know, back to the basics. It still was packed. There was still over a hundred thousand people. And, you know, it was, you know, tons of stuff going on, panels going on, you know, a lot of the, you know, hall H stuff was completely out. And, but there were other panels going on. There were other announcements that happened at the show, but just not the official stuff like normal. And so it was very interesting to do. And, you know, I think eventually we're going to have to go back out to San Diego for another visit. And I think it would be a ton of fun to do it in the next year or two. So you never know. Yeah, I, uh,
3: I heard a lot of great things about this year as well from professionals, from colleagues as well. Um, People who sold a lot of stuff. They did that. The panels were popping. Um I do know that. I know that. um Uh, Certainly the comic panels and everything were were well attended, Um, uh, but in particular, I did find it interesting that, I don't know, I guess the studios or whatever are trying to get around certain things. Uh, In Hall H, they had a uh, big premiere, I guess, uh, promotional thing for a uh, a Bollywood sci-fi big budget movie that's coming out, so uh, obviously they're not connected with SAG or anything like that, so... Um, uh, but I mean, that's a good way to, I mean, you know, uh, with, uh, films from Bollywood and India coming out and being really exciting, like RRR was last year. Uh, I'm certainly excited to see this as well. And I'm glad that that, uh, space was not wasted this weekend. Um, instead it was used to, uh, you know, some see, see it as getting around certain things, but I think it was just a nice use of that space.
1: Yep, exactly. You know. Hall H is big, so they might as well use it as a big movie theater or viewing room. (laughs) You know, it would also always be good instead of having to wait 10 hours to get into Hall H. So it's a plus, my friends. It's truly, truly a plus. So definitely, thank you, everybody, for listening. You know, it's always great to be able to join friends talking about movies, talking about geeky stuff. And that's what we've just been doing. And, you know, always remember, we couldn't do this without you. If you want to support the podcast, please check out our T Public Store, where we got really cool ESO Network swag, and we got a couple other designs coming out. We got some new stuff that I've been playing around just with new designs, um, new ideas. For you know, when I get new ideas in my head, I just usually put it onto a T-shirt, so it's kind of cool. So we'll be having more and more of that kind of stuff up on our T Public Store. You can find the T Public Store very easily by either going to the Earth Station One website. Or to the ESO Network website and go, clicking on T Public right on the top. Super simple, and we also have an ad. So we are on the side of our podcast page on Earth Station One. So definitely check it out, or go to T Public and so say Earth Station One. We're there, so you can find us. Also, remember if you want to listen to our show before the rest of the world, why not check out the ESO Network Patreon? For as little as a dollar a month, you could help support us here at Earth Station One. Check out the ESO Network Patreon at patreon.com slash ESO Network. We want to hear from you guys at home, so feedback at earthstation1.com is the best way to find us, or to write us at least. Remember, you can also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found. And now Earth Station One is up on YouTube. That's right, folks. You get to see these lovely faces every week. It's pretty cool. Some of us are more tired. Some of us are like going, ah, oh, what a day. But we're always happy to be able to see you guys and everything. And remember, if you get a chance, hit the like and subscribe button. It's always the best way to follow up with us. And it shows that you guys to get to listen and to get it pointing down. That's right. Or if you want, click on the little star up at the top and you get to know when we come to you. Because we're coming to you now twice a week. Not just once a week, but twice a week. So, yes, folks, more work for me. It's awesome. It's great. It's always good to be able to edit. It's always great to be able to be able to give you better content, more content than ever before. So it's pretty cool with that. Please, you know, just subscribe. We're not too proud to beg on this show. We really aren't. On behalf of myself, of course, Mike Favor, Mr. Mike Gordon, Ms. Ashley Pauls, and Ms. Lauren Knight, thank you so much for joining us, folks. Thank you for listening. We will see you here next time on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we are done. Boom! You've been listening to the EarthStation Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. EarthStation Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Tee Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. You a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up.